Tonight here, a warning about Facebook and what some believe it's doing to kids. The warning comes from two of the company's earliest executives. Carter Evans is following this. We kind of knew something bad could happen. Chamath Palihapitiya, a former Facebook executive once in charge of user growth, now says he has tremendous guilt about the social network he helped build. We have created tools that are ripping apart the social fabric of how society works. And it's influencing the next generation. Studies show 92% of teens go online daily, and one in five young people regularly wake up in the night to send or check messages on social media. People need to hard break from some of these tools and the things that you rely on. The short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we have created are destroying how society works. No civil discourse, no cooperation, misinformation, mistruth. Bad actors can now manipulate large swaths of people to do anything you want. He's not the only social media executive really blowing the whistle. Absolutely. Former Facebook president Sean Parker recently said the initial goal was to get people hooked. You're exploiting a vulnerability in, in human psychology. The inventors, creators understood this consciously and we did it anyway. We have to hold the tech industry accountable. Jim Steyer is founder of Common Sense Media. They in many cases have ignored the consequences, some of the downsides of some of the innovations they brought to our society. You don't realize it, but you are being programmed. It was unintentional, but now you got to decide how much you're willing to give up. In a statement, Facebook pointed out that Polly Hapatia left the company more than six years ago, and a lot has changed since then. But Facebook also said, quote, we have realized how our responsibilities have grown and we're working hard to improve. That news report was last Wednesday. Two weeks ago, Facebook launched Messenger Kids. It's aimed at six to 12 year olds. Facebook says this new offering is to provide the safeguards of unauthorized or unsupervised social media accounts. Critics are not so sure. Facebook will collect all the content of the children's messages, all the photos sent, the features they use, and they'll share that information with, quote, within the family of companies that are part of Facebook, end quote, and outside companies that provide custom support analysis and technical infrastructure. Of course, this follows YouTube's YouTube Kids, launched by Google in 2015. Jeffrey Chester, executive director for the Center of Digital Democracy, says this, by, by openly commercializing our young children's digital media, Google has lowered the bar. Chester noted that the toy company Mattel just signed an eight-figure deal with Google, with YouTube, in August 2017. So when it comes to social media, as you just heard, we have some decisions to make, some serious decisions 
as adults, as parents, and certainly as teens and preteens. In his book, The Next Story, which I really encourage you to get and read if you're a parent or a grandparent, The Next Story, Faith, Friends, and Family, and the Digital World, the writer Tim Chalice says this. Listen to what he says. God has gifted human beings with tremendous ability to dream, create, and invent technologies that serve us as we serve him. Technologies that enable us to better serve him. But if technology is a good gift from God with the potential to help us fulfill our God-given calling and purpose, why does it so often feel like we are slaves to our technology, like we are serving, instead of demanding that it serve us? We sit in church and spot a young person using his mobile phone to send and receive text messages during worship, and we wonder whether he owns the phone or the phone owns him. We see a family out for dinner and spot a dad talking on his phone while the kids play with their handheld gaming systems. Every member of the family lost in his or her own little digital world, and we shake our heads and wonder what has gone wrong. We see young men immersing themselves in video games, content to spend endless hours staring at their screens, losing themselves in virtual worlds that must somehow seem so much more interesting and attractive than the real world. We see students dedicating vast amounts of time to social websites like Facebook, suspecting that amid all this online socializing, they are missing out on the beauty of the real world and face-to-face -face relationships. Here's what he concludes. We wonder if maybe, just maybe, we have gotten ahead of ourselves a little bit. Maybe we don't know what we're doing. Maybe, just maybe, we have become slaves to our own devices. Maybe we haven't considered the consequences of the digital revolution, much less the way it's impacting our faith. How then are we to live? Now, obviously, we can't get away from digital technology, can we? It is here, and it is here to stay. And so we have to learn how to deal with it. After uh, last night's uh, service, Lorraine Shipman, who oversees all of our ministries to children and youth, she oversees uh, 56, uh, which is our, our ministry to fifth and sixth graders, our middle school, and then our high school students. She said this, she said, here's a tip. Be a little clearer on what parents are to do. Internet and social media are here to stay. We need to embrace it with caution. Parents must, parents must set the example and educate their kids. Why? Because there are friends, their friends have access. She said, I remember talking to one family about social media, and they said, oh, we don't do social media with our kids. But then she talked to one of their kids, and that kid knew all about social media. Not enough to say my kid can't be on social media. I was walking around during the services and spoke with Brad uh, Sommerfeld, who is our new middle school uh, pastor. And he was telling me that you can, as a kid, you can block anything you want to block. So you got it set up, parents, where you can see your history and stuff. 
is no problem for your kid to block all that out. So the question that we, we got to deal with, right? It's here to stay. You agree with that? The question we have to deal with is, and that we're dealing with in this series is, what does Jesus have to say about this? Those who follow him, what does he have to say about the digital world that we're in? Now, if he's only a seasonal, if he's only a seasonal Jesus, and he's just good around Christmas time, and we and you know we just do the gifts and all that, and we sing the Christmas carols, maybe even mix in the Christmas story. If that's if that's all Jesus is, then we don't have to worry about this stuff. We've got to figure it out on our own. But if he's really the Lord of Lords and Kings of King of Kings, if he's really the one who died on the cross so that we could have an eternal relationship with him, if he's the one who rose from the dead and by his spirit lives within us, then we better be listening to his words. So let's pray and ask God for his help as we look at God's word today. Father, we pray that you would be with us in this critical area of digital technology. Lord, in in many ways, as we'll see today, it is tremendous. And in many ways, it is so dangerous. I pray, Father, that you would be with us today as we look at your word. Teach us as only you can do. We thank you for all our campuses And we thank you, Lord, by technology, we can come together and we can open your word and we can can worship you as we obey what you tell us. Be with us, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. So in a sense, technology started back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And God said to them, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. Nancy uh, Piercy, who is an author, she calls this the first job description. I like that. The first job description that God gives us. To be fruitful and multiply means to, means to build a social world, right? So families, churches, government, cities, schools, be fruitful and multiply. Build a social world. To subdue the earth means to, to harness the natural world. So we're going to plant crops, and then we're going to harvest them. We're going to build bridges over rivers. We're going to harness the natural world. We're going to design computers. We're going to compose music. Nothing wrong with any of that stuff. It's all great. Tim Chalice, in this book, says, Technology is the creative activity of using tools to shape God's creation for practical purposes. So after Genesis 1 comes what? Genesis 2. And then after Genesis 2 comes Genesis 3. Every time, and there's the fall. And now sin has entered this perfect environment. So now we have another issue. Genesis chapter 3, God says to Adam after the sin, because you have listened to the wife voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your lives. Thorn and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. See, in a perfect world, 
crops grew perfectly. You didn't need all the stuff that you need today, but now in Genesis 4 on, you need farming technology and, and, and herbicides. In a sinless world, you didn't need medicine, but now aren't you thankful for medical technology? In a sinless world, you didn't need weapons, but now weapon technology is essential. In a sinless world, Adam and Eve were naked and not, were not ashamed. They were not cold or hot. They were just right. But um, now sin has come. Now the environment even shows its sinfulness. And we have to be warm and we have to cool ourselves. See, technology is neither good nor evil. It's the application of it, and so it is with, with digital technology. It's not good or bad. It's how we use it. So what I want to do today is make a few observations. I had a lot, and I had to cut it down. But a few observations of the good and the bad of technology. So let's agree it's here to stay, right? And there are some good things to it. We're not Ludites or Luddites or however you say that. And if you don't know what that means, you can Google that uh, later on. <laughs> so it's good, but it's, it's like a fire. Think of, think of it as a fire. Fire is fantastic, right? But it's dangerous. So how do we deal with it? All right, here's the first one. Technology can be a tool for spiritual growth or a tool for, for, for idolatry. Social media is a tremendous tool for spiritual growth. Man, you can, you, can get Bible, you can get Bible apps, digital technology, you can get Bible apps, gotquestions.org. If you haven't downloaded gotquestions.org, you need to do that after the service. Online communities, instant access to any, any version of Scripture. Think about that. You don't have to go buy it anymore. It's right there. You can have it in just like that. You can have spiritual conversations via email or text or Facebook. You, you can listen to teaching or watch uh, teaching on websites or, or YouTube. You can go get any message we've ever, not ever done here, but a lot of messages on our website. You can go back. You can do it. Tremendous spiritual opportunity. You agree with that? And it can be a tool for idolatry. Jesus was asked, remember, what's the greatest commandment? They were trying to trick him and and Jesus in Mark 12, 28 said this, the most important is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Well, Jesus right there was summing up the Ten Commandments, which is a summation of all the law. And the first commandment is what? You shall have what? No other gods before me. Don't bow down to any image. Tim Keller, the great pastor and writer, says that anything can be an idol and everything has been an idol. He, he defines an idol as this, quote, anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination. Well, that's convicting, isn't it? Your heart and imagination more than God. And anything you seek to give what only God can give. Just think about how much time we spend on this thing. See, technology is a tool for a tool for idolatry. 
When a man makes sex his idol, then he can follow that burning lust and follow his impulses by just reaching for this tool. When a person loves money and wants to get it quick, you don't have to go to Las Vegas anymore, right? Or the great casinos in Oklahoma. You can just go right here on your phone, and you can do online gambling, winning hundreds but losing thousands. When possessions are your idol, man, Christmas shopping, right here, right? You can research anything you want to research right here. Not bad in and of itself until a box is showing up at your door every day with stuff you don't need because it's so easy. When productivity is your idol, you can constantly work. When significance is your idol, Teenagers, you can take hundreds of pictures of yourself and then pick just the right one for Instagram to see how many likes you get. If information is your idol, man, what a tool for idolatry. And maybe the phone itself is your idol. Four in ten adults say that they couldn't live without their phone. 82% said they never leave home without it. As we saw, one in five teens wake up in the middle of the night to check their messages, and nearly half of us sleep with our phone nearby. Great stuff for spiritual growth and a tool for idolatry. So we've got to make those decisions what we're going to do with it. How about this one? It can be a time saver or time waster, right? So back in uh, January 1815, January 1815, during the last battle of the War of 1812, hundreds of men were killed and 2,000 men were wounded or taken prisoner even though the war had officially ended two weeks earlier. The treaty was signed on December the 24th and then word finally got out to the farthest campaigns in February. In 1861, the fastest riders of the Pony Express took 10 days to get from St. Joseph, Missouri to Sacramento, California, 1,900 miles, and then, of course, 10 days to get back. So you had to wait a long time. Then came, then it really got fast, the train, the iron horse. At first, 20 to 25 miles an hour, smoking down the track. Take that mail and your communication. Then in 1844, think about this, 1844, Samuel Morris, using a telegraph, tapped out the first words on that telegraph. You know what they were? They were from Numbers 23, verse 23. What hath God wrought? Not as a question. It was an exclamation. What hath God wrought? The God has given us. What has God done? Isn't this cool? God has given us the power to communicate. He gave the glory to God. Well, today, communication is instant, isn't it? Phone, emails, text. And isn't it cool when you send a text, you see that little thing come up with the little dots going back and forth, knowing that 
the person's reading it and getting ready to send you a response. Goes fast. Saving tremendous time. Cool thing about being a parent, you can even text your kids upstairs and tell them, it's time to come down for dinner, right? How many of you done that? Seriously, I'll raise my hand. Okay. And technology can be a, good, a, a, a huge waste of time. The average adult spends nearly nine hours a day in front of some type of screen, about a quarter of that time spent with two screens. 81% of women have a Facebook, and, and every visit they go on the Facebook, they, they average about 30 minutes. Men spend plenty of time on digital devices, much of it watching sports, much of it doing work, just like women. This robs so much time from our marriage, doesn't it? From our, from our kids and from our relationship with God. Moses wrote this in uh, Psalm 90, 90 uh, verses 10 and 12. He said, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, but their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. And then he says, God, this thing's going fast. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to use our time well. Wasted time also comes in the form of distractions, right? The phone is always buzzing with a call or a text or really important stuff like ESPN updates. And we're checking it constantly. And one of the most rude things, I think, is when you're out for lunch with someone, this only happens in our day. And they get a call. And they say, oh, I got to take this. I'll be right back. If that ever happens when you're out with someone from our staff, it better be their wife or husband, and it better be the second time their wife or husband calls. That's our policy. We minister to people face-to-face. We can't be distracted by this thing. But see, that's what we're conditioned to do. That's what we've been conditioned to do by the Internet. Irene Awe, who, who is the head of user experience at Google, says, our goal is to get users in and out quickly. All our design decisions are based on that strategy. And so what does that do? So we're going to go in and out quickly. About I think it's about... Every three seconds, something on Google is changing. Another pop-up's coming on. Something's happening. And what does that do when we finally open up God's Word and we want to read it, whether it's here or on our phone, and, and nothing's popping up? Or we want to spend some time in prayer. Jesus, in his time on earth, had only three years. Think about it. Only three years of earthly ministry. And he was busy. Jesus was busy. But he never seemed to be in a hurry, never distracted. In Mark um, chapter 6, he told his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and let's rest a while. For many were coming and going, so many were coming and going, they had no leisure even to eat. They missed all their eating times that day because they were so busy. So Jesus said, let's get away. Now, why didn't Jesus stay and heal some more people? Could have. He was only here for three three years. He should have stayed and healed some more people, don't you think? He should have stayed and done some more teaching. 
No, Jesus said, Jesus, I can't be distracted. I got to go away. I got I to regroup. I got to get to a desolate place. I get by myself. I can't be distracted. He did the same thing after the feeding of the 10,000. Remember men, women, and children? He went off by himself to pray. Jesus was focused. He knew his purposing, and that's the problem with some of us. What is our purpose in life? Why are we here? That's a whole other sermon series. Focus. Jesus said, I didn't come to serve, be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for him. That's why I'm here. Jesus also said in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't, you can't serve two masters. Either you're going to hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise, it, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Could we also say you cannot serve both God and your smartphone or your tablet or your computer? Healing or hurtful words. That's the next one. Healing words or hurtful words, the social media thing. It's a great opportunity uh, to be used, uh, today's technology, to minister to people. Man, we here, man, it has opened up a whole new world for us in ministry. We can minister to people around the world via uh, email. We can pray for people. We can interact with people. We can send people uh, um, uh, answers to questions. We can do all of that. And of course, everyone wants it like the next day, right? Or that day. That doesn't always happen. But you can do ministry through email. It's fantastic. You can write a note of, and how many, how many of you think about, you know, you got, a, you got an email that was just so encouraging to you, a, a note of encouragement, um, a needed passage you needed to hear, um, a, a sending a prayer. What a great opportunity. It's here to stay, and it's a great opportunity for ministry. And it's a great opportunity for hurtful words. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Bob Fredo was telling me between services that when he was a principal, some girl came in in tears and said, he said, what's wrong? And he said, Sarah uvu'd me. And he said, I don't know what that means, but it can't be good. Uvu was some app back then, I guess before Snapchat and stuff. Hurtful words going. Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, you heard it said of old, you shalt murder, and, and, uh, and whoever murders liable to to judgment, but, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hells of fire. Calling someone a fool represented um, a destructive attack on one's character and identity. And we see a lot of that going on today, don't we? Man. So I learned something as I was studying for this and talking to the our youth pastors, uh, there's this thing now. You guys know about Instagram, right? So now there's a fake Instagram. So put F before Instagram, Finstagram for short, Finsta. Parents, ask your kids about Finsta. Finsta is your private Instagram. So you just have your little friend group in it. Maybe it's three, maybe it's 50. And in Finsta... You really are free to say anything you want to say to anybody anytime. You're irritated at Tom. You blast Tom on Finsta to your friends. Or you want to send a picture that you don't want to put on Instagram, you can send that to your friends. The problem is (laughs) 50 of your closest friends may just share that with Tom or that picture with someone else. 
There's no way to stop that. By the way, anything you put on the internet, it doesn't go away. Here's the next one. Well, uh, Proverbs 12, 18. Reckless words pierce like swords. Reckless words pierce like swords. Man, we know that, don't we? We've done it and we've received it. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Here's the next one. Relationships or isolation? I love technology, man. It develops, it helps develop relationships, right? We have, we have a family thread. And so it's so fun to see, you know, our kids in Florida, watching from Florida. And, and uh, they ran a 5K yesterday. And so we got these pictures of their 5K that they ran. And, and that was cool. And then the other family members started posting stuff on it. And we could encourage them, way to go, great job. And there was a time we, we love that stuff. We love FaceTiming with our kids and our, and our grandkids. And, and we enjoy the Instagram stories that, that they post about, about their kids and what's going on. I don't look at Instagram a lot, so our daughter-in-law will text me to say, go look at Instagram because I just posted a story on there. Lori doesn't have Facebook. She's never been interested. So her high school friends message me to tell her something. I'm just a messenger boy for her. But boy, it can, it can breed a lot of isolation too. You ever seen a group of teenagers standing around together, but all on their smartphones? I wanted to take a picture of that, then I thought, eh, that may be a little creepy. I better not, <laughs> better not do that. There's a great danger of isolation and what one, one, what, what one writer calls the loss of visibility. The loss of visibility. So Gibraltar, here's a picture of it. Gibraltar is this giant rock that juts out into the mouth of the Mediterranean Sea. It used to represent the edge of the civilized world. When, when you sailed from Gibraltar, you were sailing from the known world and you were heading into an unknown world beyond civilization. That led Admiral, the war hero, the British war hero, Admiral Lord Nelson to say, here's what he said, Every man becomes a bachelor once he is beyond Gibraltar. It's a dangerous place to be beyond Gibraltar, isn't it? On your computer, on your smartphone, clicking on places you shouldn't go, images that should not be viewed. Pictures that should neither be taken nor sent. Videos that should never be seen. Remember the words of Jesus? You've heard it said that, you've heard it that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your right eye is causing you to stumble, gouge it out. If your right hand is causing you to stumble, cut it off. Do the, do the things you need to do. As a parent, do the things you need to do as a person to guard your kids against this great tool, right, and dangerous tool. Psalm 119, 37 says this, turn, your, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my, relate, my life according to your word. 
So we don't need to be in isolation. It's always a dangerous, beyond Gibraltar is always a dangerous spot. It's not good for man to be alone. We are to be in relationship. In fact, I don't know the percentage of this, but so much of Scripture you can't even apply if you don't have someone else in your life, if you're not involved in community. How can you serve one another if there's not another person in your life or love one another or honor one another or encourage one another or respect one another or be patient, kind, and compassionate with one another or accept one another? It's about relationship. That's what God has made us to do, and we're just getting more isolated with this thing. And like we heard on that news report, it's, it's ripping apart the social fabric. Here's the last one. Wisdom of the crowd, or maybe foolishness of the crowd would be better. So uh, how many of you have heard of this uh, Ohio State's defensive coordinator, Greg Schiano? Have any of you heard this story? So Greg Schiano, he's a, a defensive coordinator for uh, Ohio State, and he uh, was in line to take a job for the Tennessee Volunteers. Any Tennessee Volunteer fans in here? Ooh, raising that hand high. All right. I don't want to offend you with this story, okay? I'm sorry. So, um, so he's, all he has to do is sign the contract. He's the next coach. Schiano was an assistant at Penn State, under Sandusky from 1990 to 1995. Now, since that time, 11 years he coached at Rutgers. Spent time in the NFL with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Has spent some years with Ohio State under Urban Myers, who vouches for his integrity. No issues. But then the Sandusky crime report came out in the summer of 2016, and listen to this, a, I'm going to read it, a non-specific allegation based on hearsay that the attorney, attorney general who investigated everything did not take serious enough to investigate and regardless that Shiano says he never, uh, he never saw any abuse nor had any reason to expect any abuse during his time at Penn State, regardless of that. Social media went crazy. The students, alumni, and even elected officials said, no way are we having that guy here. One elected official, Representative Jason Zachary, said, we have reached out to the athletic director and others in the administration at UT expressing that we, as a Tennessee community, do not approve of Shiano. So guess what? Took away his contract. The wisdom of the crowd prevailed. And in Tennessee, I guess there's a big rock there, but different messages are put on in big, bold letters. It was put, Shiano covered up child rape at Penn State. Man, that's devastating stuff, isn't it? But it's the wisdom of the crowd. It's what's trending on Twitter. It's who has the most followers. That's what the latest poll says. If 49% are pro-choice today, then that must be, the, must be it, right? It's the wisdom of the crowd. If 63 to 70% say gay marriage is fine, that must be it. Forget the Bible. It's the wisdom of the crowd. Back in the Old Testament, there was a wisdom of the crowd. Remember the children of Israel were headed into the promised land, and Moses sent two spies to, to get them ready, and... and uh, they came back, and 
And two of them said, man, if God's with us, we can take it. It is a beautiful land over there. We're going to really enjoy it. Let's go do it. And 10 said, and no way. There are giants in the land, and we're going to have to stay here. The wisdom of the crowd, in quotes, wisdom, kept Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years. Matthew 27, verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the what? For the crowd. Any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife had sent word to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the who? The crowd. To ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said, well, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And the crowd said what? Let him be crucified. And he said, well, what evil has he done? But the crowd shouted all the more, let him be crucified. You see, as believers... It's not the wisdom of the crowd often, is it? It's the foolishness of the crowd. And we have to be those who are willing to stand up to God's word, even if we're standing alone. We may not be in the crowd. Often we won't be in the crowd. Are we willing to stand for God's word? Are we willing to use social media in a way that is godly, not as an idol? Are we willing as parents to make the hard calls? By the way, being a parent is not a political office. It's not a popularity contest. You are the parent. Sometimes you make decisions that your kids don't like. They don't appreciate. They will later on, but they don't appreciate it now. But you have been, they've been given to you to protect them, to watch over them, not to let them play in the fire. You see, a fire is a good thing to keep you warm, but to put your hands right in it, to take your kids and say, here's a fire, just put your hands in it. They're going to get burned, and it's burning them now, not going to, it's happening now. And it's like Chalice says, this thing's gotten away from us. We can't use it. It's a great tool, but we can't use it as a tool for lust or idolatry, materialism. And I'm not even, that's just the theological part. I'm not even talking about the physiological part. You can go research about how this thing is rewiring kids' brains. If your child has internet access, there aren't any guards you can put up to fix it. So here's what we have to do. And here's what we have to model. Do we love Jesus enough not to stick our hand in the fire? 
That's what it comes down to, doesn't it? There's, there's, uh, man, it's scary to say, but I was just talking to Brad, middle school guy. He said, there, there's no safe card you can get. So we got to te- show our kids first. This life for Jesus, that's the life you live. Are there temptations? Yeah, but you follow Jesus. When you're by yourself and no one's looking, he's still with you. It's about the heart, isn't it? It's what it all comes down to. Remember Jesus said it's from the heart that comes all that stuff anyway. One more thing, just so you know. Even though you are alone, you are never isolated on the internet. There are more people watching than ever. They are sorting through all the data to find your data print, your data picture. You ever been on the internet doing some research or something and all of a sudden these ads start popping up and you wonder, wow, how did they know I was just shopping for that? They know. What you put on the internet doesn't go away. And someday, that's a scary one. Someday they might make it, someone could make it public. We have to be guarded. I was talking to a guy after the first service and he says, I tell my kids, when you write that email, reread it. And if you can say, I don't care if the, if the world saw this, it'd be fine. If you can say, yeah, then you can hit send. That's the world we live in. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, beautiful passage. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had what? They had been with Jesus. Wouldn't it be cool if that's what your data trail showed? The world could see your data trail and they say, well, the only conclusion I can make is that person's been with Jesus. That should be the goal of all of our life, shouldn't it? We're going to take communion and we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. We want to be with him. Man, he has, he's given us everything we need. We don't know this. We don't need this sewage stuff. He's given us everything we need. And he also tells us during communion to examine ourselves. So today I'm asking us, me, us, to examine ourselves in this area of digital technology, social media. Say, Lord, I'm holding bread in the cup in my hand, representing the death you died for me. I can't hide here. Convict me. Encourage me. Help me to change. And I pray that you that we all make decisions today. What are we going to do? How are we going to shut this stuff off? As parents, what are we going to do to make sure we guard our kids? If you're a believer, you're welcome to take communion. If you're not a believer, let it pass. This is for believers only. If we haven't already handed off to our campuses, let's go ahead and do that now.